You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. CNN business news anchor Ali Velshi goes on the record. When we go to a company's website, we expect everything, a particularly large company. We want to know everything about them. We want their about section to really be about who they are. Hello, and thank you for joining us for another episode of On the Record Online. Uh, This is the podcast uh, we do about um, how technology is changing and threatening to disrupt the media business as we know it. I'm Eric Schwartzman. I'm your host. I'm the founder and chairman of iPressroom Corporation. Uh, We help companies integrate the web into their marketing communications and public relations initiatives. I'm also personally and professionally fascinated by how the Internet is changing the way organizations communicate and the way people consume media and information. Um, Today we are going to do a one-on-one interview with Ali Velshi. He is the business news anchor for CNN. Um, The entire interview runs uh, around 27 minutes. Um, If you are tuning in for the first time and you want to subscribe to this uh, through RSS, go to www.ontherecordpodcast.com. And there's all sorts of ways to do that there. You can also get past episodes as well. Uh, This episode is being recorded from Media Relations 2006 in New York City. Um, And now uh, I am going to play for you the interview with Ali Velshi after this. Don't be left behind. Get the latest online PR tools and services from iPressroom. Powerful, easy to use, available on demand. Extend your sphere of influence online with iPressroom, tools for online media centers, virtual private press rooms, RSS news feeds, podcasts, and more at www.ipressroom.com. iPressroom, always on, even when you're off. Ali Velshi is a business news anchor for CNN who contributes regular business features and updates for the Bottom Line segment of the network's afternoon program, The Situation Room. Velshi previously hosted The Turnaround, CNN's small business improvement program that profiled a small business owner and a high-profile mentor as they developed a plan for success. Uh, Before that, uh, you were with uh, CNN FN's Mm -hmm. Your Money and the Money Gang. And prior to that, you were the host of The Business News, Canada's first and only primetime business news hour, Uh, In 99, uh, you joined Canada's only all-business news channel uh, report on business television as an anchor. Um, In 1996, you were awarded a fellowship to Congress by the American Political Sciences Association, uh, where you worked with uh, U.S. um, uh, Representative Lee Hamilton. Right. Thank you very much for taking the time to do this, because I know you are a very busy man. It's my pleasure. So let's talk a little bit first um, about what's going on with citizen journalism. From a business standpoint, how do you think the growth of blogs and podcasts and other tools that enable citizen journalism will affect or not affect CNN and the business of cable news? I see it in two areas. I think the growth of, uh, of podcasts and blogging helps journalism a great deal. 
I think the development of citizen journalism is a separate thing that we have to look at in that uh, if it's citizen journalism and as if it develops as a bit of a discipline unto itself, I think it's fantastic. The, the red flag it raises for me is that a lot of bloggers, and we deal with a lot of bloggers, sort of present themselves as journalists without the baggage that the rest of us have, the, the need to clear things and the need to operate within a policy or, or a dictate. That is extremely liberating on one hand. On the other, to the consumer of news, my parents, uh, if they don't know the difference, it's hard to know. People have, an, have a view of what CNN is or what Fox is or what any of us are, and they use that as a filter to, to receive the information that we give them. With the blogs, it's harder to do that because you don't know where they're coming from entirely. Sometimes you do. Some of them are very clear as to where they come from, what their position is. But some of them are presenting themselves as the news with no bias or the news with no opinion or everything unfiltered. And I'm, I think in some cases that's true and in some cases that's not. We all have biases. So that's, that's the part of the citizen journalism that I think we have to watch. If it gets more people into disseminating information, I think that's fantastic. On the podcasting side, I really think that is the, the untouched future. That is really where it's going. We are all about content and choosing what we want. That's why we use satellite radio. That's why we use iPods. We, that's why we use TiVos and DVRs. The idea of a podcast, the idea that I can choose what I want and, and there's somebody out there providing it uh, and it's more tailored than mass media, I think is very exciting and something that uh, I'm involved in personally. Uh, and it influences us at CNN because we realize that people want information fast, they want decisions fast, uh, they want to be able to have input, and they want to interact. As a sector, I mean, you're a business reporter, you're covering uh, business sectors every day. As a sector, do you think the Internet, comp internet companies are resurging? Do you believe uh, this whole Web 2.0 um, discussion that people are mm -hmm. having? I do. Buy into I, that? I do actually believe it because now we're savvy. Now as investors, we're savvy. Back in 1999 and 2000, we bought things because they had dot-com at the end of them, even when all the business fundamentals went against it. Now you've got these, these companies that are, maybe they're blogs or maybe they're sort of niche internet sites, and all of a sudden they're being snapped up by major companies because they really do have those eyeballs we used to talk about. In the old days, it was eyeballs and you could get people to sign up for stuff and somebody would buy your list and then we'd have the name of everybody on the on the planet mm -hmm. on a list didn't mean anything now you've actually got people who are interested in things that is a business proposition there are there are blogs and there are internet sites and there are methods of communicating with people online that make it valuable as a business proposition and i think that is actually real since the bubble has burst uh, do you think the types of sound bites that uh, captains of industry are willing to lend are more tempered now? And, and are you more sensitive to receiving those uh, predictions? Sure. Sure. We, we rarely hear the wild predictions that we heard out of, uh, out of executives' mouths uh, eight or nine years ago. You just don't hear that. You just don't hear people saying, we're going to grow. You, you, you know, once in a while you hear it, and it is so shocking. You think, did somebody talk to them? Did, did somebody tell them not to say that? On one hand, you want to hear the passion from a senior executive. You want to hear where they think their business could really go. Uh, but on the other hand, yeah, there aren't these wild predictions because predictions they know that we will actually follow up on that. And, and people just aren't as prone to believing those things as they used to be. So you're obviously interviewing captains of industry on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. What makes a great interview? Passion. 
absolutely passionate. These people who, almost everybody who I've, I've interviewed who's been fantastic is someone who believes in, in life, pursues it to the fullest, is relatively balanced, but works very hard. Uh, some of the wealthiest CEOs I've interviewed are the hardest working. There's no free lunch. They're very, very committed to what they do. Um, and, and those trappings of, of a fantastic life seem to take second place to being the best they can be. So to me, it's still passion that makes a good interview. You're in a situation with a CEO and you're having the interview and you feel that passion being somehow strangled by a set of messaging points. Um, and if so, how do you deal with that situation? It's tough because media training is absolutely necessary. I mean, there are very few people who can do very well without any of it, but there are. I often think it's, a, it's necessary to help someone get their message out, but sometimes they get so stuck on the message or they're, they're constrained by it and they have something to say when you know that if you were perhaps just talking to them or you, you know a bit about their history and you know that years ago when they got into this business, they had such a passion for it and they really turned it around. What, what I think happens is sometimes people are constrained from giving me the anecdote that's interesting. And that's what I try and find. I try and find the anecdote in their past, in their history, and if I've had time to study it, it, it it's what connects. It's when the head of a retailer was a was a salesman on the floor at a at a big super uh, department store. You know, if you can bring them back to a time when they were just as interested in it as as you are in them, I find that sort of breaks it a little bit. When it's just messaging, it's a little tough. I remember uh, watching Bill Gates on Larry King. Uh, years ago, four or five years ago. And he had some, Bill Gates had some very clear messages he wanted to get across. It was quite uh, yeah. transparent. And Larry, of course, is trying to derail him and get him off message and get him to talk about Harvard and why he left school and those types of things. And sure enough, uh, Bill Gates is disciplined and comes right back to message. Have you uh, been in a situation uh, in an interview with a CEO that was particularly uh, agile at balancing the two, staying on message, but also giving you some great information and anecdotal uh, I'll information? use the same example. It was Bill Gates probably a month ago. Uh, he wanted to talk about uh, Corbis, his internet, his digital imaging company. And the conditions were that that's what he wanted to talk about. And somebody before me who had just interviewed him hadn't stuck to the plan. And he was, in a, he was annoyed. And I got in there and he was very clearly annoyed. You could see it. So I was talking to him a little bit. And I did want to talk to him about some of the bigger issues that, that he's about. And I knew that if I talked about education and I talked about um, those training and, and, and excellence and entrepreneurship, those things are so close to him and so passionate that it, he will get excited. And that's exactly what happened. He got excited. He for, forgot that he was angry about something. And we had a fantastic conversation. So um, that, that's a nice um, little segue over to small business entrepreneurship. What do you think the impact of the internet is on small business? I mean, is it important for small businesses to have a presence on the web or is it only important for large corporations? Oh, it's, it's crucial. The internet for small businesses has been the best thing that's ever happened. Uh, they are, first of all, able to sell to anyone anywhere. That's the number one benefit of the internet. They can get feedback from anyone anywhere. One of the biggest problems with small businesses is you're so involved in it, you have no idea how you're doing other than by the sheer numbers. The internet allows you ways to gather information, find um, motivated clients. It allows you to uh, distribute 
you know, there, a lot of the companies that offer services to small businesses do so entirely through the internet. It allows you to save money on staff because you can communicate and take orders and, and, and deliver orders. It is absolutely the best thing that's ever happened to small businesses. Not to mention, it also allows you to handle your accounting in a way that uh, wasn't around before. If you're a small business and you don't happen to like accounting, that seems to be one of the places that a lot of small business struggle with. They just don't, they don't have the wherewithal to do it. Well, the internet just allows them to do all these things without hiring more people. But other than the e-commerce opportunity, uh, I would imagine you are probably qualifying stories and, and doing research on a daily basis. You're probably visiting websites of companies. Mm-hmm. Are you? And if you are, what do you expect to find there? Uh, we, I would say we do uh, 70% roughly of our work on the internet. Uh, it's our first stop for almost everything, almost any story. And it's beyond sort of internet and news pages. It's, it is, in fact, to blogs in some cases because that's where a lot of the critical mass is being found. We, there, there's a story that's out there. No one's really publishing on it, but the blogs are talking about it. Um, so we use it very, very frequently. When we go to a company's website, we expect everything a particularly large company. We want to know everything about them. We want their about section to really be about who they are, particularly who owns them, because that's one of the biggest things we always want to know. Who owns this company? Who are the interests in it? We want to know how to contact them easily. We, we really want a sense of good explanation about what they do. Interestingly, as you get further up the food chain, the bigger companies tend to have less on their, their websites. They have more links and they have more people you can call. Smaller companies are all about putting everything they are on the website. But we really want transparency on the website. You don't want to have to guess what something means. Let's talk for a minute about uh, the competitive environment that exists today in 24-hour cable news. Uh, you know, CNN had, you know, and, and, I, and I'm asking you, Ali, as an individual, not sure. as a representative of right. CNN or what the, the company line is here. I'm interested in your perspective as a broadcast journalist. CNN had really been the the crown jewel for so long in in cable news, really. And and then Fox appeared, and in a short period of time was able to get such a huge audience. And it's it's a little baffling. Um, Why do you think that this happened? Well, someone's always going to take audience. If you're the only game in town and someone shows up uh, and, they're, and they're credible, that's going to happen. So I think that's one thing that we have to look at. There was going to be a, a split in the audience regardless of, of what happened. Now, but, but from a personality standpoint, I mean, it's clearly a partisan um, news outlet. And others you know, on the right would argue that CNN is left, but I think most people would find it more moderate. So, I mean, do you think that has something to do with it? And if so, why? I don't know. I mean, the numbers, it, it, it's hard to sort of parse the numbers because, you know, it, CNN has, enjoys an influence that might be disproportionate to what it looks like when you just compare ratings between Fox and CNN. It, it still carries a great deal of influence. The, the issue is, what do you do? And it, it, I can compare it to retail sales. What do you do when you've been the leader in a particular area, someone else comes in, and, and they've got a, a very interesting trend? Now, do you follow that trend? Do you follow some of the trend? Or do you go head-to-head with that trend? Uh, do you keep your own style? And I think that's the kind of thing CNN has been struggling with. When it is a brand that is as old and established as CNN, you really have to think long and hard before you take what a lot of people might think is the obvious left turn 
And, you know, a lot of people say, why don't you just go head to head? Why don't you just do that? Why don't you say the kind of things they say? I happen to think that the, the ability to connect with a viewer um, will be more important to them than the political view that's expressed. So while a lot of people might watch Fox for what looks like a political view, it might just be the fact that sometimes they say things that regular folks say. And, and, and sometimes we have to do a better job at that. But I think we do. I think we are changing, and we have been doing a better job at that. But it is, it's kind of like the same discussion with the blogs. How do you maintain that which has been your strength and your brand for so long and, and yet change into new trends without looking like a 40-year-old who's trying to dress like a 20-year-old? Well, well, let's talk about that because there are a number of people who would argue that the broadcast signal or the, the cable line is not as... Uh, important as it used to be, Agreed. certainly with uh, you know the um, distribution of video online, essentially uh, eliminating geographic exclusivity, something mm -hmm. that uh, affiliates rely on. Right. I mean, it's what they set their table on is a deal with a network to provide them with programming. And in the past, they had an exclusive on that programming. Well, as soon as that programming is available over the internet, they no longer do. Yeah, and the sling blocks and things like that. I mean, not only does where it's broadcast not make a difference anymore, what time it's broadcast hasn't make it made a difference for a while, which is why this whole time slot battle continues to, to, to baffle me, because the fact is many people I know don't watch TV based on time slots, other than for news that is happening now or things that you want that, that are current. You're absolutely right. I think there's a whole different way in which people choose to get their information, whether it's all the channels on TV, or all the channels plus uh, everything available on the web, or all the channels plus what's available on the web, plus podcasts, plus blogs, the choice is out there. And, and it is going to be very important for people like CNN and all of us to remember how we remain relevant. Because the choices are out there and they're easy to get to. It's not the domain of, of geeky, strange people who go on the web for their information. It's everybody. You're sitting at work, that's where you're getting your stuff. And CNN.com, for instance, is, is very popular for that sort of thing. And we're really trying to connect that to, to CNN to find out how you leverage who are the people, who are the people who get their, more of their information on the internet than on, you know, from a television screen. And then you add to that all of the downloadable portable media devices or satellite radio. I don't know what the future is going to look like, but it's gonna look very different than it is now. Do you think, uh, we've been hearing quite a bit about the newspaper business. Uh, obviously, Knight Ritter recently uh, divested of their newspaper holdings. Uh, McClatchy took a real hit in their stock after they made the acquisition. And it seems like uh, newspaper circulations nationwide are evaporating. Do you think the newsprint business, and I'm referring to daily newsprint, mm -hmm. is sustainable? I might be old-fashioned. I, I like to read a newspaper in my hand as opposed to online, although I do go online to newspapers for new developments uh, or breaking news, which they have become very effective at. Many newspapers have begin, become very good at that. Um, I'm covering the Enron trial very closely, so I keep a real close eye on the Houston Chronicle because they've really deployed their resources well. Mm. I think their resources are deployed better in this case as an internet operation because you go to the Houston Chronicle online and you'll get minute-by-minute -minute stuff. And you can read the newspaper and get a lot of solid information on a daily basis. I think newspapers are here for a while. I think it's, a, it's still a bit of a cultural thing. I'd be interested to know what somebody half my age has to say about that, whether they do enjoy reading newspapers in, in hard copy. Now, obviously, so many news-gathering organizations now are looking to reinvent themselves online. We've seen the New York Times 
ad podcasts and the LA Times try their wikitorial experiment and so many um, uh, companies trying to uh, aggregate eyeballs online in, in hopes of um, offering advertisers the ability to connect with, with, with audiences via the net. And you've recently launched a podcast as well. Tell us about that. I do a podcast uh, once a week right now where we're looking to make that more frequently. It's The idea is that if someone is generally well-informed about business, maybe so much so that they might read the Wall Street Journal in the morning or they'll, they'll watch some sort of business television in the morning, but then they go to work and they do whatever they do, and it's not part of the, 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 the world of business or, or what's going on out there. Uh, the idea is that they can, they can plug in, listen to me, download it, and hear my four or five minutes, not on the news that's been going on every day, because I've... I get that they can get that anywhere they want, but on a, a bit of a fresh take, something that's a little entertaining, uh, things that they might take to a party or, or, or uh, you know, meeting with colleagues and, and talk a little about, it's a little, more, um, it's a little more editorial than the straight news delivery. Uh, the idea is that it's somebody who knows a bit about stuff and I give them something to relate to. It's, it's the stories behind the news that they're hearing about. It is about business, but my view is that it's for the, the audience who wants to know a little bit, let's say, about business and a little about sports and a little about entertainment, so I would be their choice for business at the end of the day. They'll know the big business stories. I'll give them something quirky and interesting, something that they can sink their teeth into a little bit and ponder, uh, some trends and ideas and a little bit of opinion. What are the objectives on, from a business standpoint uh, for the podcast? Well, I think that the idea that people get smarter because of what they consume editorially um, is what I want to fit into. I'd like to give smart people some smart information at the end of the day that they wouldn't otherwise have had that's entertaining and that's interesting and makes them feel, "Ah, you know what, I'm a little better off for spending five minutes with Ali Velshi on his podcast. Uh, I think that idea is generally appealing to advertisers who want to be good corporate citizens, want to be associated with, with smart and passionate and, and dynamic. Those are the kind of things that I'd like to appeal to. I don't do it with an eye to who's advertising because that doesn't fall into my, my world, but I see an obvious connection because a lot of what I do as a business journalist is designed to help people and make them feel a little smarter and make them do a little better with the, the resources that they have. And how many episodes of the podcast have you done? We've done, I think, four now. We started it about a month ago. Um, we are, we've, I think we've kind of ironed it out, and we're going to try now uh, video podcasting. We're going to try and put it on uh, video because a lot of people like to download uh, things that way. And that will also be exclusive content. Exclusive content. It's sometimes based on, obviously, because I cover so much business, it's not exclusive in that I will have touched so many of these topics, but I touch them in a different way on CNN. On the podcast, I get a little further into it. I I personalize the story a little bit. I, I try and connect it with the experience that the audience may have had, which is different than how I would deliver it in a in a busy uh, more constrained news environment. I'm maybe more constrained by, by time. The podcast is a little, it breathes a little more than the stuff I'm able to do on TV. And roughly how many people listen to the podcast? I don't even know. I, I have no idea. We've just started it, so I don't, uh, I, I have no clue. Um, my rough guess uh, was nobody initially because I wouldn't even know how they would know about it, but we started promoting it. And I'm sure people who are looking for it know where to find it, but I have, I, I'm making the assumption 
that no one listens to it. But I did that for many years on TV. I've always made the assumption that no one's listening to it because I find I actually do much better when I think no one's listening uh-huh. to what I'm doing. Uh, as soon as I start thinking about how many people might be watching or listening, it adds a dimension that I don't enjoy. Have you, um, so far in any of these first four episodes, uh, included uh, anything that came out of a pitch from a PR person? Hmm. That's interesting because they've been large trends generally, so it hasn't been something that wasn't otherwise somewhere in the news. It wasn't obvious where it was. I'm not bringing things that were straight out of the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. They might have been from a... I really enjoy going to newspapers and websites that everybody doesn't go to and and aggregating some of that. Um, so well, it has tell us, like, who are your influencers? When you're looking to the blogs and the websites and these sort of niche papers, who are they? In fact, the influencers are the search engines because I, I specifically enjoy getting things from places that don't that I don't know about and and finding out more about where they got their information. The unusual takes, and here's the, the beauty of the blogs um, and a lot of these internet sites, because they're not constrained by having to uh, get both sides of a story. Sometimes they have a a strident viewpoint that is very interesting. It's not necessarily the full story, but it can lead you to something that um, a more traditional news organization may not have gotten to. Because when I want to tell two sides of a story, I can't tell two outlying extreme sides of a story. So my, my story tends to be two sides of the same coin. Whereas I like to go to websites where people are writing about things that they're really passionate about. So it's not a specific uh, list of websites I go to. It'll be a website about people's complaints about their sofa beds. And, and, and what they have to say about it and what the companies are doing about it. You know, it's, I just try and find unusual things. Uh, I've got uh, somebody who works with me who really just trolls a lot of websites and newspapers to find interesting articles. How many emails would you say, email pitches from PR people, are you receiving on a daily basis? Maybe 20. Uh, and that's probably down from when I was anchoring several specifically business-related shows. Most PR people who watch me now know that I work in a different kind of world. It's a lot more current um, markets and, and finance, so a lot of the things don't fit. When, when, they, when the pitches would fit, I would get a lot more. So you're only covering public companies? No, I'm covering trends. I'm tra- covering uh, public companies. I'm covering economics. I'm uh, covering small business. I do do a lot of it. It's just that the format isn't the same as when I had shows like The Turnaround, which were an hour long on small business alone, or uh, The Money Gang, which had an hour long call in on stocks, or Your Money, which was an hour on personal finance. Given that I don't have that kind of time on a daily basis, a lot of the, the enterprise stories that we could do you know, I, I've got to do six or eight different stories in a day now. So, so frankly speaking, on these 20 emails, you say you're receiving 20 emails right. a day PR pitches. How many of those are any good? Uh, I would say more than half are any good. Less than half are useful to me. There are some that go out there because I'm clearly on a list. So, so you say half are misguided. Yeah, they're just not, they're not sound pitches. They're not, they're not the kind of pitch that somebody's put themselves in the, in the shoes of a journalist and said, yeah, I can make this work. So now of these five that are in, in the window for right. you, how important is the language and writing skill of the person that wrote that, that email? And how many words do you give them? 
before you stop reading? Uh, I can actually sort of almost see from the layout whether it's going to be useful or not. I think tight pitches work really well. What's uh, a tight pitch? A tight pitch is one who, uh, one which indicates what is on offer, what's being offered, and how it fits into my world. In how many words? A tight pitch like that can be made in a paragraph. It can be made in, you know, it, it can be, hey, look, I've been watching what you're doing. Uh, I've got a client in this space, and uh, I really think it's perfect for, you know, it's coming up to Easter. Uh, this client's going to fit in really well. We can make it really easy. They're available here. Uh, you want to talk about it? I mean, I, I can't, I just don't have the wherewithal to be able to go through an entire, uh, something that's longer than a page. Highly formatted pitches always worry me a little bit where it's got too many different fonts. I just like, I mean, I'm an emailer, so I like back and forth email. Um, simple, give me the whole story, don't withhold, just tell me what I need to know, and if I'm interested, I will, I will get on it immediately. And those that are tight lead me to believe, a, a good tight pitch leads me to believe that I can probably organize this and get it done quickly. Do you use any filtering software to get the spam out? We have spam filters. In fact, I, uh, our spam filters, mine's, my setting's probably a little too high because I find pitches uh, every day it sends me what didn't get through, uh, you know, on a, on a list, and I have to release some of those, and I find it, it catches more than I need it to. But it, it's pretty effective. I get most of them. Do you have a policy on attachments? I don't. I have had to ask people to discontinue sending me, either take me off their list or discontinue sending me uh, attachments that are, that are too large. Uh, but I don't, I don't have a policy on it, no. Do you think email is becoming less useful as a result of spam? I, don't, I can't say less useful because I don't know what I'd do in place of it. I, I can't replace email by, by phone, and there's no other method that is, that's as easy for me to respond to or get as email. So unless somebody came out with something that, that dealt with it, uh, I think that I would really like um, some solutions to spam that would work. Uh, I, I don't know enough about this world to not know why we can't get right to the root of the people who send all this stuff. Uh, I'm not as concerned with spam from PR people or spam from people who are selling stuff. I'm actually concerned about that weird stuff I get that there's clearly nothing I could do with it. It looks like it's gibberish code um, informing people about... Uh, what is that? I, I have no idea what that is, and I just that's the stuff I want to stop. If somebody really wants to sell me, you know, printer cartridges, I, I can probably find the setting that gets rid of that. I'm not, I'm not terribly bothered by sales pitches. Right. In fact, I happen to like sales pitches, which is why I don't have any beef with PR people. I, I like a good pitch. But I just don't understand that other spam that I get. Right, right. What about RSS? Are you using that at all? I don't. And it's funny. I was just thinking about that this week, that I, I now think it's, it's evolved to a point that RSS is going to be something that's useful to me as a tool, as a journalist. Um, but I'm actually relatively unevolved in the way I use my computer. Uh, and I think that needs to change. I mean, I was, I'm an early adopter to most things, but I'm still, uh, you know, I set a, a particular portal as my homepage 10 years ago, and I'm still using the same one. I just haven't evolved. You know all these pages give you all these, ability, these things that you can personalize? I, I haven't personalized them. But then again, I haven't, um, I haven't automated my bill paying yet, so in some ways I'm still a dinosaur. Now, you were born in Kenya. Yeah. And raised there? No, I was, I was raised in Canada. I, I go back to Africa a lot, but I was raised in Toronto. So you have some awareness of Muslim culture, I would imagine? Very much so, yeah. So what do you think of Al Jazeera's... Um, launch in the their their plans to launch in the u.s um do you think it will be well received uh, and and do you think uh the strategy to have an english language um affiliate out here is a good one yeah i mean i'm 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 unclear as to how big their market will be 
you know, how, how many people will tune to it. I think anything that, that gives us more communication with, with the Arab world is, is useful. I think there's just so much misunderstanding, and I think there's no, no time in history where we've actually gone the other direction in terms of uh, mutual understanding. I think this, it's very dangerous, some of the things that have been going on in the last few years, and anything that, that helps us learn more uh, about each other is going to be very helpful. So I think it's a good exercise. If they think that they can succeed here and, and make money doing it as a news organization, I don't see that there's anything wrong with that. They seem to have attracted some, uh, some very notable journalists. And I certainly would, would watch from time to time just to see what's going on and how they do their news. I'm curious about the way other journalists, whether in TV or print or uh, on the Internet, do their work. So I'd be interested in learning more about them. There are times when I've been in hotels where, I've, where Al Jazeera has been available and I've put it on, and of course I can't understand it, um, but I, 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 wa I watch things to see how it's done. I don't know if most of America will watch to see how it's done or will be curious, but I think that that's useful to see how they, they deliver news, and I think it will help us in the end. Do you think um, f that, have you seen a, a tremendous amount of change with respect to the, the partisanship of news and news broadcasts in particular uh, over the last 10 years? Sure I have, although I, I do like to think that it's less partisanship than it is taking a position on things that it's okay to take positions on as journalists. You know, while we, we still hold on to this idea of objectivity, fundamentally we know that you can be against lots of people dying and you can be in favor of people being prosperous and, and doing well for themselves. You can be against disease and you can be in favor of good education. And I think when people take common sense positions on these things, it becomes very attractive to the viewer because they, they then say, you're not in your ivory tower anymore. You're actually relating to me. So I think that's the aim. I think what might have happened is it's become cloaked in partisan discussions because we label things as conservative and liberal. And I always found that interesting when the blogs came out that they were often labeled as conservative and liberal. And I thought, well, what if you just want to blog about something that's neither conservative nor liberal? But w we label things, and I think that's what's happened in the media. We've labeled it, and some of us try and fit into that. I, I think it's more about trying to relate to people in a way that they speak, in the way that they collect their information. Final question. Uh, recent news came out about uh, Apple running Microsoft Windows mm -hmm. uh, on their machine. Uh, do you think this will give them the ability to capture a significant share of the business user market. I can't tell you since that news came out how many of my friends who I, I can't imagine had any interest in having a, a, an Apple or a Mac computer saying to me, yeah, I think I'm going to get a Mac. That was the thing holding them back. They always believed that they couldn't use it. I mean, I use both. I have a Mac and a, and a PC. And it is, you know, I was a PC user first. It's a little bit like learning Greek when you, when you all of a sudden have to figure out how things are done. Um, I don't know why any of these people who told me they'd buy a Mac would need a Mac, but the idea that, that Apple is making its computers available to people who have learned how to use PCs uh, is going to be very interesting. I really, I, Apple's done a lot of the right things in the last few years, so that they've done it indicates it could work, but yeah, I actually think this is interesting. Allie, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for doing this. Thank you for having it. me. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.